Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to talk about how collaboration is changing the modern team dynamics. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I believe that leadership creates a strategic advantage and is the key lever for creating the world that we want to inhabit. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am delighted to have on the show today, Darren Chait, co-founder and COO of Hugo. Darren, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Maureen. Really nice to meet everyone. I'm the co-founder of Hugo. We're a software company headquartered out of San Francisco. And we have a meeting productivity hub for teams. So we provide a central piece of software where teams manage their meeting workflow, preparing for meetings, taking notes, assigning tasks, and integrating with the rest of their software stack. And in building Hugo, we've learned a lot about the way modern teams collaborate and how to run great meetings. Leadership in a fast growth startup is very different than what textbooks say. Darren joins the show today to share how collaboration is changing and what are the modern team dynamics. This includes what his organization has learned about shared consciousness, direction versus support, and when to make leader problems team problems. So Darren, tell us a little bit about Hugo and how you got here. So I'm actually a corporate attorney by background. Grew up in Australia, as you can hear from my accent, and worked as a lawyer out of college for a while. And kind of funny, I sort of just ended up there. I did study law and was interested in in it, you know, through college, but never really stopped to think about what I wanted to do with my career. And after a few years of practicing law, one of my biggest frustrations were around meetings. And the thing about being a lawyer, as you know, is you build your time, right? So you ha- you're literally on the clock whenever you're working and that's how you make money. So I remember walking out of these completely wasteful meetings that would have, you know, six, seven people in it where nothing was agreed, nothing really happened. You feel like it's a complete waste of time. And then to add insult to injury, you see the bill and someone's paid thousands of dollars for a complete waste. And that really fascinated me. So much had changed about the way we worked. Nothing had changed about the way we meet in so long. And talking to a friend of mine who I'd worked with before, Josh, who's now my co-founder, he was a product manager for a tech company in San Francisco, and he was sharing much of the same experience. Me in this old-fashioned organization in Australia, him in a you know market-leading tech company in San Francisco, both grappling with the same challenges with meetings. So we decided to go about solving that, and we started Hugo on that mission to rethink the way we meet. As you explored and built the company, what are you finding about your original hypothesis about how meetings change, and how's that now evolving? Because my guess is what you thought and what you're doing now looks slightly different. Yeah, we actually started out trying to solve this problem in a different way with a very big focus on meeting preparation. And we then learned that it's not just about preparation, which is a key part. There's there's a lot of value that can be created throughout the meeting process. But I guess what we didn't understand at the beginning is the impact that meetings have on team culture and dynamics and the way modern organizations work. We didn't quite realize the sort of disproportionate impact that meetings have. You know, it's it's the biggest leading indicator. If I'm if I was interviewing for my next role or if I was an investor looking at an organization, all you have to do is look at how their meetings operate to get a good insight into the culture of the team, into how they work, 
and how effective the company is. Can you give me some specifics? Give me an example of a team dynamic that's an indicator of success and a team dynamic that's an indicator of dreadful failure. The first starting point is just the volume of meetings. How much time do teams spend in meetings? If a team is spending most of their days and and nights in in meetings, it makes you think that the team doesn't have respect for the time, for their team's time. You know, the, the way we take action is to book time on everyone's calendar and get them in the room because that feels like progress, that feels like work done, but you're not stopping to think about actual work and actually giving people time to get their jobs done. On the other side of the spectrum, an organization that treats meetings with respect, where it it is a very important forum to collaborate, to make decisions, to get on the same page and prioritize work, but doing that in a judicious way, you suggest that you have a culture where team time is, is elevated and treated with respect and people are given the opportunity to get their work done. So even just the meeting volume speaks a ton about the organization. I am thinking of someone who as much as they want to prepare for meetings, they're overwhelmed for all the reasons we know. People don't have enough staff, people have gotten sick and they're in the hospital and it's just not happening. And yet they wanna move projects forward so they use meeting time as project time. Can that be effective if they acknowledge, you know, this is what we're going to do in the meeting, what we, in a different world where we were sufficiently staffed, we would have done as prep. Can that still be effective? Internally, we talk about meetings as being only for three reasons, the three Ds, debate, decision-making, and discussion. They're the only three things that need to happen in a meeting. Providing updates, syncing, or you know, all of those types of processes don't need to happen in a meeting. It's 2021. There's a ton of modern collaborative technology, collaboration technology, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to provide those updates to stay in sync, to keep the team on the same page without demanding everyone drop what they're doing and connect to Zoom or walk into that conference room. The, the preparation piece that you mentioned, Maureen, is, is absolutely very important, but it's only needed when you actually need to meet, which is for those three reasons. I think of early in my career working on large technology projects, and we would have these multi-hour meetings that were, quote, status meetings. And to your point, I could read a status report, and I get having a status meeting if all we discuss is the yellows trending to red or read the report before I came in and we're gonna talk about the touch points that we're gonna have over the week. I need something from Darren, I need something from Dan, not the, how are you doing? Tell me the three deliverables you produced this week, unless it's relationship building. Exactly. It's really interesting when COVID hit, and uh, I know we'll no doubt talk about that in a moment, we really expected a huge impact on our customer base and the way people use Hugo, because naturally people are now working from home, so you can't meet in person. Sales pipelines are drying up in the the crazy world that we were entering early last year. And we thought no doubt people are going to meet less. How's it possible that we could keep meeting the same way that we were before when we're not together when we're not selling, when the world's in disarray, everyone's, you know, heading home to family and, and doing what they were doing when, when the world was so unknown. And literally the opposite happened. We were watching the data in, in front of us. The volume of meetings just went skyrocketing up and to the right. And it made no sense to us. We were scratching our heads saying, hang on, how could we be meeting more? And as we started analyzing the data, and I wrote a piece for courts on this, we started to see meeting titles like sync, update, 
quick question and, and things like this were just ending up in people's calendars because what would have been the water cooler talk or the quick coffee or me spinning my chair around and saying, hey, Dan, hey, Maureen, I've got a question for you is now a meeting in my calendar. And of course, you can't book less than 30 minutes, really. And now people's calendars were just becoming completely blocked. And that sort of shows the way we think about meetings and the impact of that. So to your point about the status meeting and the update, that totally was shown to be true as the pandemic hit the world. You know, one of the things I found with bringing in a little bit of brain science and when people are on overload, cognitive overload, emotional overload, anxiety goes up, that relationship piece became imperative. Effective meetings were as much, how are you doing as how is your project doing? Because if you don't care how I'm doing and, you know, I've got whatever fill in the blank, I can't see my family for a year. I've got screaming children or Mm -hmm. there was a gentleman outside of my partner's office and we saw him there several times. And so finally, you know, knocked on the door and asked what was going on. He was working in his car because his wife had just had a baby and it was too loud to work from home. And this building was tall enough that the sun didn't block his computer. So this man is sitting outside of someone's office in a parking lot, working away for the day. I mean, those are clearly suboptimal conditions, but it was the best he could do with what he had. So that importance of caring about the humans before caring about the work for me seemed like a significant shift. So the world where you go to work to get the work done, we moved to really what Gallup talked about, having a best friend at work and caring about being a place of care came front and center. So I wonder what you saw in your data. Did that show up? Not quantitatively. We did hear a lot about that. Obviously, the importance of human interaction dramatically increases. And um, we'll talk a bit later about synchronous versus asynchronous collaboration. The, The importance of synchronous collaboration, having conversations matter. But I think often that part of the way we work, which is critical, gets conflated with meetings. Mm. Our view is that meetings are not the place for human interaction like that. I don't need to go and put time on your calendar at an hour that suits me to see how you are and have that conversation. I should be picking up the phone or sending you a quick text and saying, hey, how are you doing? Or do you want to chat for a few minutes? The huddle or the impromptu conversation is the place to have those human interactions. I don't need to go and demand your time and block out your calendar to be human. So uh, as we move from the office to remote, we definitely do need to be intentional about interpersonal communication because I can't just spin my chair around or walk and get a coffee. But booking time on your calendar isn't the answer because all I'm doing is demanding your time and and giving you less time to get what you need done. I know you're the expert at this and I'm going to challenge that and I'll use myself as an example. I meet with everyone on my team on Mondays. My intent isn't to demand their time, but to sync up. And if I look at my calendar for the rest of the week and they're the same way, there may not be a half hour for an impromptu conversation on my entire week. And that half hour I'm going to be using to put out some text I've just gotten from a client or something. How do you help someone like me say, I truly value my team and I want to know how they're doing, but impromptu won't happen. It never happens. 
Yep, totally hear you. Yeah, I, I think the problem, firstly, is when we all default to having a week full of meetings where there, there is no spot. If we don't book this time, it's never going to happen. I first question whether there is more time that can be created during your week. Are there other internal meetings that don't need to be meetings? The way we approach this as a team and we've done with others is we instituted a 10% rule, which means that no more than 10%, approximately four hours of your work week, should be spent in internal meetings. So obviously lots of time spent with customers, but we said to our team, we can't see a reason why you need to be spending more than four hours talking to your coworkers during the week. Sounds you know, quite, quite excessive, but what it does is it elevates the value of the internal meeting. It means that everyone treats those meetings with such respect because they're, they're, they're not commoditized. You can't just keep booking more meetings. You have to be very intentional about what we're gonna talk about, make sure we're prepared. We don't want to waste any time. So that really cleared a lot of time to, to do that. That certainly helps. But look, to be fair, I, I have one-on-ones with my team every week too. I, I don't think it's a problem to schedule time to catch up. It's where the only interpersonal communication you have are in meetings where you can't mm-hmm. pick up the phone without scheduling another meeting, where I have a quick question or want to bounce an idea off you. And it means I go, I have to go look both our calendars and block out more time. Mm-hmm. And we've come up with a, a, a bunch of techniques to help us do that, where I can still interact as a normal coworker without just blocking more time in your week. Tell me those other techniques. Cause again, I just looked at my calendar while we're talking. <laughs> I've had literally two and a half hours of meetings with my team this week. And as I look back over the course of the week, I didn't have a half hour unscheduled. So if I needed to meet with someone, I was texting them probably in the evening because our work is with clients. So I'm in meetings, but they're not team meetings, they're client meetings. And that's kind of what our business is, as I'm sure in some ways yours is as well. So how for someone like me, would you help me connect with my team without potentially meeting with them? By the way, I don't like Zoom. So I would much prefer a phone call. My meetings are walking meetings with the phone. And that's kind of our rule. A big lesson that we've learned through the pandemic, and I think is certainly a trend in collaboration, is the distinction between synchronous and asynchronous collaboration. The reason that it's so much stronger during the pandemic is, as we've all learned, when the world went into disarray, everyone started moving all over the place and heading home to family or not in some cases overseas. I'm in Australia right now. I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, I'm nine hours uh, behind you and everyone's working on different time zones and family and personal, you know, personal life demands change very quickly. All of a sudden, people who never had childcare responsibilities had childcare responsibilities, we were homeschooling kids, all, all of these factors that many people, or some people can relate to. How do we manage that? Well, one of the benefits of, of remote and that environment is that you can work when you're most productive and most effective. I wake up around 4 a.m. most days now because I can get a lot done. I overlap better with my team from a time zone standpoint. Kids aren't around. But then when it comes to dinner time and bath time and you know with young children, I'm available and I'm there to help. The downside to meetings and the calendar is it's synchronous. It needs everyone available at the same time to be able to work together. Unless our schedules overlap, we don't get to work together. So asynchronous collaboration is the notion that we can work together on our own schedules. And there's a lot of great technology out there that's enabling that. Apart from our product, Hugo, which I'm I'm not going to talk about for a moment, there's solutions like Loom, which is a quick video recording app 
We use that extensively. If in the middle of the night when I'm up and I have this wonderful idea that I really would love to get your feedback on, I can record a quick video and that might be of my face. It might be audio only while I'm walking to get a coffee. It might be me sharing my screen and, and giving you some feedback on a document. I send that over to you. And on your schedule, you can review that. And it's not a text message or an email. You can see my body language. You can hear the tone of my voice, my funny accent. You can be on the same page as us. And you can respond in, in your time too. And we've had that same high bandwidth conversation like we would face-to-face or on a video chat. So using approaches like that have allowed our team and, and many companies that we work with to be as effective from a collaboration standpoint without demanding their time now. Like you mentioned, your downtime might only be in the evening. Your team may not be available then. That's fine. You don't need to go and demand their time based on your schedule. So that's just one trend that we've seen that I think is absolutely a part of the new way of working together and the new collaboration. I actually have a colleague in the Netherlands who will periodically send me a Loom video like he's driving home from a meeting so I can see his neighborhood. And it is relationship building. Now, I also get them with the screen share and the move it this here, do that there. And to your point, it's nice if not overdone. I don't want to watch 15 minutes of him driving home from work, but <laughs> a couple minutes is good. The distinction there is he could be FaceTiming you, right? And saying, hey, I'm driving home right now. Like, check this out. And you feel like you need to answer that call and stop what you're doing on your schedule, no matter what's on your plate. You would rather that video, which you can watch when it suits you and reply when it suits you in your schedule. And that shift to async is more effective. And we've actually seen such increases in productivity because one, you're not interrupting flow. When you call me, my phone rings. When you say, can we chat now? I've got to stop what I'm doing. But you can also schedule your days to suit you and your work style. We have software engineers that aren't productive before 11 a.m. And in the old world, it doesn't matter that, you know, it'd be very strange to get into the office at 11 a.m. in some businesses. They need to be there early and be unproductive for a few hours. But in the way we're working now, that's no problem. If you want to work till all hours of the night, because that's when you're effective, we can still collaborate and work together. I love that. I tend to be a late riser, late worker. So our producer who's on this show right now, or often more often than we should, probably emails around midnight. I don't answer email in the morning not at 7 a.m. when other people are working. So I'm India in that way. So tell us a little bit more about Hugo then, because you also offer significant, robust tools for meetings and collaboration. The crux of Hugo is calendar-centric note-taking. So we bring your calendar into our web application and we allow you to prepare for notes. So create an agenda and take notes during the meeting, which we connect to the contacts and companies that you're meeting. So next time we meet, I have all of the notes from our conversation from my whole team, whether or not I was in the room, all the tasks, actions, and follow-ups that were created with the current status of them, integration with the rest of our software stack. So sharing out the takeaways, notes, insights to tools like Slack, if you're using that for chat, to a CRM to keep your customer records up to date, and then having this team repository where all of our team meetings both internal and external, live where we have all of that insight in one central place for everyone to be on the same page. That's the concept. Can you walk me through a couple examples? And I'm trying to think through, like, how would that work for me? I have my Monday morning meeting with Dan, our producer, with Susan, who manages our podcast series, with James, who's one of our board members, and periodically one of our other team members. How would that look? 
So over the course of the week, when let's take down in yourself, for example, think of things that you'd love to cover in next Monday's meeting. You add it in Hugo to a document that's linked to that meeting. So it, it's like editing a Word doc or Google doc that you're well used to in Hugo. And you can add in all of those bullet points that you want to talk about and tasks there. Um, when the meeting comes around, you've got that agenda that you've collaboratively prepared over the course of the week. We're also going to automatically surface last week's meeting and the meeting before, bring over any tasks that weren't completed, let you see the continuous stream of what was agreed last time and, and what we spoke about. You can take some notes together in that meeting. Any tasks and actions that come out of it are integrated with any project management tools. So you can highlight any part of the meeting and send that out to Asana or whatever you're using for project management or just tasks in Hugo for regular meeting actions. If that meeting is relevant to others on the team, in one click, you can email that out or share it out via Slack. So people who weren't in the meeting are on the same page. And then after the meeting, we can schedule the next and, and move on to the rest of our day. You now as a company have that in that central place automatically connected to Dan, to yourself, to another company, if that was relevant, if this was a customer meeting and having that system of record of all of the company's meetings. And what that naturally does is not only helps with the retention of these important insights, but provides a workflow for the whole team for how best practice meetings are run. Mm -hmm. I didn't mention templates then, but we have hundreds of templates to use for these meetings. We make sure that everyone's prepared and make sure that all the actions are captured and followed up and make sure that the whole team has access to all of this valuable meeting knowledge, particularly when it involves customers. I'm thinking of one of our clients who the complaint of one of their key individuals is I go into these meetings. I think I've assigned something to people. They don't think it's been an assignment, so they don't do it. And that is a constant complaint. And I'm sure the challenge lies in the middle, but this sounds like it would give the discipline for him and for them to say before we leave the meeting, okay, these are the things we've agreed on. These are the due dates. This is what it looks like. It sounds like automation of really good discipline. That's right. Exactly. It's that best practice process for the whole team to use. I take notes diligently if I'm not in a walking meeting and I have them on Evernote, which I love. But if I go to look at, okay, Monday morning, I had a status meeting with somebody or I had a client meeting and prep for a session we're doing. Now I'm having to sift through Evernote, even though I tag things and put them in folders. Exactly. This sounds like it would allow me to more quickly access and not like when we're doing a radio show, have the script attached to the meeting rather than me trying to find the script. Exactly. That's right. Because, you know, it's funny. I mean, our calendar is really the source of truth for how we spend our time. I could learn so much about you and vice versa from your calendar. All the data is there. Mm -hmm. It's where you were, at what time, who you met with, where you met them. So Hugo leverages that data to organize your notes. Um, so exactly right. And I'm thinking of some people like Dan is very conceptual, so I don't have to send him, here are the three things we're going to do. There are other people who are much more concrete. So Susan, who manages our podcasts... Before we meet, she sent me her task list, her priorities for the week, the questions we have, and that allows me to prepare. So that's been really helpful. And it sounds like, again, your best practices would say we should be doing exactly that. Exactly right. That's it. Spot on. COVID's happened. The people who are fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work from home are working from home, which after a year and a half will change how we go back to the office and for some people not going back to the office. So overlay that with the complexity of the world has changed. 
in my view, collaboration is becoming much more crucial because the problems I'm facing in an interconnected system are just much more complex. So collaboration, teamwork, remote work, all required for effective work and problem solving and taking advantage of opportunities. How do you see that evolving? And tell us how then Hugo is going to enable this to get better and me to get better. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the new normal and cliches like that. I do believe that. I think for a lot of modern companies, they're already on this trajectory. Mm -hmm. Even before the pandemic, we allowed our team to work from home a few days a week, as did a lot of other big tech companies. And even for organizations that weren't quite there yet, they've now seen the benefits. Not to say it's all smooth sailing, but productivity, engagement, ease of hiring, um, team, you know, employee satisfaction, all of these things now that we've had been forced to try it out have been realized. So I can't see a world where we sort of go back to the way things were. At worst, it's a hybrid where, where there's some flexibility or at best, many organizations now have shut down offices and they're now remote and online. What I think happened though is you know, at some point, maybe it's six to nine months you know, into, into last year, there was that realization that this is the new world. And that's actually was the most productive stage of the pandemic because initially it was sort of, how do we tide ourselves over? How do we get through this temporary situation and make things work? And when it started to set in that this was the new world, pandemic aside, you know, this is how we're going to work. That's when leaders really stop to think about how we can build a great sustainable organization with a remote team. And that's when things are most productive. That's when we saw the most growth in, in the Hugo customer base. But more importantly, it's when the more sustainable processes started to be implemented. So Hugo's view on that was that from a product standpoint, asynchronous collaboration really matters. The discipline around meetings really mattered. And I guess the prioritization of teamwork and, and process around teamwork really mattered. Um, and that's why you know people were looking to products like Hugo for meetings, but also products like Slack for chat and Loom for asynchronous collab and, and you know, a million others we could name. How does Hugo help my team build trust, build relationship as a team rather than just a cluster of people who happen to be sitting in the same room? Two ways, which both Hugo does, but are also good generic advice, I think. One is the collaborative work. So preparing for meetings together instead of saying, hi, team, here's the agenda for what we're going to cover. Saying, hi, team, here's the place where we can all add what we want to cover in that meeting. So we all walk into that meeting prepared and having contributed to it. Mm -hmm. And likewise, after the meeting, the accountability is done in a collaborative way. Add your notes. Here's what we discussed. Here's what we said is going to happen next. Hugo is going to chase that up for us and make sure everyone has their tasks complete before the next meeting. That's one. The second is around sharing and default open. Um, default open is the notion that things by default um, should be shared widely across the organization unless there's a reason not to. Now, coming from a background as a corporate attorney, it's literally the opposite of what we're used to. Need to know is literally the opposite of what I'm talking about. A modern organization should make everything accessible unless they can't. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of doing that is one, on a human level, being transparent drives a culture that we're all striving for in our organizations, where there's directness, where everyone knows what they need to know, where everyone feels engaged and part of the team, even if it doesn't directly pertain to their work. But even if you don't subscribe to that and you know you are perhaps a little more old-fashioned in your thinking and, and, and need to know is really the way this school of thought you've been brought up in, providing the context to do your job 
is great rationale for sharing so widely. I can't tell you how often we've had the best marketing ideas come out of an engineering team because they've been exposed to these customer conversations or they've, they've seen a note from a meeting that they weren't in and had a great idea or they read something recently that they wanted to share. That for us has helped us create an idea meritocracy where the best idea wins, no matter who it comes from. And that's only a consequence of sharing very widely. So we enable that with Hugo, but that aside, it's a behavior that every modern organization should be prioritizing. How do you share it with Hugo? Again, I realize that's a fairly tactical question. Can I go to Dan's schedule and read the meeting notes from the meetings he attended? And why would I do that? Yeah, you can. But uh, we think more about active sharing versus passive. So instead of you having the permission to go and read Dan's notes, when Dan saves a note from his meeting, we encourage him to share that out via Slack in a Slack channel. So you have a feed of the meetings Dan's attending that you can skim through and get a sense of what's happening or email it out more widely to the team. Dan can also mention you or a whole team within your company that may be interesting. You know, FYI marketing team, it was pretty interesting to hear a customer talk about us this way or FYI engineering team that, you know, really wasn't a great experience. And collaborating in that way where everyone's got access to everything and you're actively pushing out those insights is where you see the impact. It's like you had the whole company in every meeting because you know, via osmosis, if you like, everyone's picking up the context and the full picture of what's happening. And again, I feel like I'm doing a little bit of devil's advocate, but I'm lucky to make it through the day with the information I have. So if you give me every meeting note that anyone's been to all day, I will never get to sleep. <laughs> How do I sift for, I care about my team and I don't think I'm that much different than probably most of our listeners especially with labor shortages, who just don't have enough people to get the work done. So while this sounds wonderful to have access, I don't have time. That's right. I mean, the information overload problem is, is certainly a, a common one. The reality is if you're not sharing everything, you're sharing things that could be relevant and could be interesting, but aren't strictly need to know, you may end up with five or six quick bullet point notes to skim through the same way we all skim through social media, to be frank. You know, if you were to print that out and look at how much data there is, you don't know how we, we get through it. But at the end of the day, when you're got a few minutes to kill and, and you're flicking through a feed in a chat app, you're getting a sense of what's happening out there. You feel included. You know the types of conversations that are happening and you're on the same page. And I think sharing knowledge and sharing information that way is very different to providing you something to review. Here are the notes from all my meetings. Can you go through the, each of them? It's about the sharing piece. And to be frank as well, I think a lot of the value actually even comes from the sharing rather than the consumption. The culture of your organization is set by having that available, by sharing it all out there. Even if you can only consume 10% of it, that's the organization and that's the team that we want to build where it's all open. Everyone's on the same page. They have access to whatever they need access to. We don't have this, you know, this siloed need to know culture. Okay, that makes a great deal of sense. The idea that it is the act of being transparent, not the act of consumption. That if I want to know what Dan's working on, not that I want to be nosy, although occasionally I'm nosy, but if I wanted to find out, I knew he had a key meeting with Susan about something I cared about, but I wasn't able to show up, I could see the summary and I wouldn't have to read three pages of notes because Dan's a good note taker. And even knowing that Dan's been 
Dan's been collaborating with Susan and they've been talking a lot about the the future direction of the podcast, even if you're not getting into the detail of it, means that when you catch up with Dan on Monday, you have a good sense of what he's been up to and, and knowing that there's progress being made with those projects. That's helpful. And again, I'm not trying to be a pain in the neck. I'm just thinking of this is my real challenge. The realities of this world. Yeah. And I think you represent many of us. This is an interesting departure from your attorney training. How did you move from need to know to transparency? The pain and the the challenge was so significant coming from such a different world. It made me want to solve this problem. The legal world, as you know, is, is, is very traditional in the way they work and collaborate historically. And there was so much opportunity and it was so ripe for disruption and, and, and update. And that made me definitely fascinated by this problem. I've always been pretty entrepreneurial and, and pretty technical. You know, I've worked on a number of things a lot on the side along the way and knew I wanted to be building a business. And the interesting thing about professional services as distinct from building a software company particularly is that professional services, you're obviously monetizing your time. So in simple terms, if you're not working, you're not making money. Software, you're building something that ultimately scales while you sleep. I still get such satisfaction from waking up in the morning and seeing new customers and, and great experience for our customers while I've done nothing. I've, I've been asleep or on vacation. And that sort of one-to-many way of creating value is something that I've always been interested in um, and really excited by. And that was part of the drive to build a software company. And yeah, the pain around meetings made sense to solve a problem that I'd experienced personally as had my co-founder. What's your biggest learning about team dynamics? Again, professional services, lawyers, now you're in the business of teams. There's tons and we've made a lot of mistakes, no, no doubt. You know, I was a first-time founder. We built a team, a significant team, having not managed people directly before. And there's lots, lots we've learned around team dynamics. The way that teams collaborate is something that's quite interesting. Coming from a background in a quite a traditional hierarchical organization to a modern tech company, the role of the leader is something that I didn't quite appreciate. I always saw the leader as the, you know, the fearless leader who needs to have all the answers. They need to solve the problems and show that clear direction and in fact, that's not the most effective leader. And as we started to run into challenges building a business and we didn't have all the answers, my co-founder and I thought it was incumbent on ourselves to sort of figure everything out so we could go to the team with a solution every time. Now, when people join an early stage company, they're after the challenge. They want to be a part of solving these problems. We're spending a ton of time and money hiring really smart people, but here we are trying to internalize and solve all the problems ourselves as leaders. And as soon as we made the switch to taking the problems and challenges and putting them to the team and solving them collaboratively, the team were more engaged, not less, even though they were now facing the problems themselves. And we were getting much better answers, much better outcomes and solutions because we had many more brains, most of which are smarter than us at solving these problems. So that was definitely one of my, one of my strongest lessons around the role of the leader in, in a modern organization. We've got seven mindsets, mindsets attached to behaviors that we believe are required in modern organizations. And you hit the one, but you also hit a couple others tangentially. One is innately collaborative. And then there's the professional humility that as a leader, I have to admit that I don't have all the answers and that we're still going to try and make mistakes. That this kind of the mind of the scientist 
we're doing something that hasn't been done. That's really exciting to some people, not so exciting to others, and they shouldn't join startups maybe. <laughs> but for people attracted to this environment, solving something that hasn't been done is really pretty cool. If you withhold the fun stuff, I'm not going to want to play on your team. Exactly. That's right. It's counterintuitive where people can be you know, excited by problems rather than success. But that was something we learned. I touched on the idea of the idea meritocracy before, but that's sort of decentralized idea generation and solution generation is the sign of a, a great collaborative organization where ideas come from all over the place and the best ideas win no matter where they come from. Not the leader who knows everything, who has all the answers. I realize at some points I'm the framework person. There's a Harvard researcher who does work focusing on organizational vibrancy. And the point you hit on is, is one of the foundational points of his work that in high-performing organizations, good ideas come from everyone. They're the person touching the customer. They're the person executing a task technically. They're often people you would never imagine would have the best insight and creating the organizational culture, which aligns with transparency, where everyone is expected to contribute and be valued for those contributions. And then the other thing you pointed out is when we're making changes on a just persistent basis, because you're a startup, that having the mindset that goes along with, we're gonna get it wrong, and we as individuals have to be supportive of one another. That if I can't look at you and say, Darren, this was what we're working on and one, help me because it didn't work. But you jump in and say, great, I'm excited to help you rather than you're an idiot. You yeah, exactly. You messed up. Yeah. It's funny. One of the tactics that's worked really well from us in line with that framework is a decision log. So we decided early on that we want to create that culture where getting things wrong and making those mistakes is, is valued because without that, the rate of experimentation and the willingness to take risks would be diminished. And we sort of adapted this idea from this guy named Shane Parrish, a Canadian guy who's got this um, blog called Farnham Street who around, around team collaboration. And what we do with our decision log is we use a type form, which is a uh, like a form creating product, but we have this central place where every time you make a decision that's important in your world, doesn't mm -hmm. matter, uh, related to work, of course, but in your area of focus, you log that decision. And when you log that decision, you fill in what the decision is, what the rationale is for your decision, what the expected outcome is, and the time at which you'll be able to evaluate your decision. And it gets locked in, you fill in this form, your decision then gets shared with the team. We have an integration via Slack, so they see the feed of all the decisions that are happening. And it then automatically gets surfaced. We add it to a team meeting agenda at the time that you've put in for your uh, review date. And what it does is a few things. Firstly, we achieve this feeling of shared consciousness where I get to know, ah, this is how Maureen thinks. This is how she makes decisions. These are the sorts of things that are on her plate and she's thinking about. So shared consciousness is definitely a nirvana for teams but it also helps you and the team really evaluate decisions without that bias that naturally happens you know the revisionist history where we think back to what i was thinking at the time and of course it's you know never what i was actually thinking at the time because it's in black and white locked in and you can truly understand what information you had what you thought would happen what really happened and make you better at making decisions moving forward so that's been a very effective way to celebrate that culture of getting it wrong, but in a constructive way. 
I worked on ERP implementations years ago, and we did keep probably not nearly as robust as you're talking about here, but we did need to have decision logs because you're making hundreds and thousands of decisions about character set and stuff that you just need to go back and figure out, okay, why did we use the American character set when we're going to deploy in Germany? Because that now we realize the umlaut actually is a character used in Europe and, and we kind of can't eliminate parts of the alphabet or whatever it was. But you have to be able to figure out there may have been a constraint. And if I go back and change the character set, I have to address that thing or I break something. And I think the team benefit is the new age thinking there, right? Where by socializing those decisions, the impact on the team and, and that shared consciousness and knowing how everyone makes decisions and how they think leads to far better team outcomes. The term shared consciousness is both delightful and terrifying to me. <laughs> so it, it invokes the idea of the Borg. And yet I want to share consciousness with the smartest people in the room. I absolutely want to absorb everything smart you have to say. I'm not sure I want to share consciousness with everyone in the room. It's borrowed from um, one of my favorite team business related books called Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. General McChrystal, he led the um, Joint Terror Task Force and captured Bin Laden and a lot of that and some pretty incredible lessons there. And he talks a lot about shared consciousness. And another one of my favorite team concepts from his book is around eyes on, hands off, which is a great way of thinking for leaders too, around being across what your team's doing and knowing what's happening, but not directing it. So uh, you, you touched on at the beginning, but direction versus support. How do you be a great leader? Well, you should be in the know of what your team's up to. You should be there to support them, but not necessarily to direct them, you know, as if you're doing the work yourself with some extra arms and legs. At a point in time in my life, I performed with a woman's African drumming group. And as you look at me, you realize that may have been a stretch for me to do. I have zero musical training and zero talent. But what I took away from the drumming circle is a master drummer will hear one who can't drum, which was me. But the drum master never grabbed my drum and started playing it. They would stand in front of me and do the simple, because my job was, you know, the simple part of the rhythm. So they'd do the simple rhythm until I could get back in pace. And then they'd go work with someone else, you know, and then when everyone in the drum circle was actually doing what they were supposed to, they would do the fancy drumming. But first and foremost, the job was to make sure everyone was delivering their product. In this case, it was the music. And when someone's off key, because then somebody else who is also unskilled falls off key because they're syncing up to me and you end up with horrible noise. So I like the idea of shared consciousness and in that context, and I think probably General McChrystal was also talking about the Navy SEALs and some of the special forces who are able to literally move around in the dark and make no sounds. Simpatico, how do we as humans, because now I'm going to draw back to implementing ERPs, not everyone trusted their colleagues to have a shared consciousness. I've been working on this for years and I know what I'm doing and I don't need people and I don't want people reading my stuff. I'm good at my job and you keep away from it. How do you help that person overcome the, I'm not going to play. I'm just not doing it because I don't need you and I don't want you. I think that's tough and, and that's a, a cultural change that needs to happen over a longer period of time. 
where an organization celebrates and rewards the personas that are more collaborative than those that aren't. Mm -hmm. I think what we've learned is that even for people that are more sort of centered around their own, you know, their own world and way of working, involving them in, in other decisions and discussion and sharing information with them is the natural temptation to do the same. Um, we see this a lot where Hugo gets adopted in some large organizations and, you know, you've even got, say, sales folks who are incentivized to close deals themselves and earn their commissions and don't really want to be helping their coworkers. You know, in many cases, they're at competition with them as soon as others in the organization start sharing and and being open naturally their curiosity drives them to do the same you know we see as i said with hugo the product organization will start sharing their meetings and what's coming down the pipe from a product standpoint and the executive team will start sharing some investor conversations and, and what's happening there and notes there and all of a sudden you see these people who are never interested in what's happening in the organization open one eye and say, well, okay, this is really interesting. I would love for the engineering team to know about the customer conversations I'm having. So they listen to my feedback and mm -hmm. the executive should know I've been working super hard. And you can just sort of see how viral that can be in a business and how you can define cultures by best practice, even if from the outset, people aren't on board. So it's toe in the water, invite people to join, early adopters pick it up and practice what you preach. Yep. In the practice, what you preach, tell me a little bit about the Hugo team. And I realize we're, we're coming to a close. What are some of the everyday processes that make your team tick? To be honest, a lot of what we've been talking about are what I'm most proud of. Obviously, our, our decision log, defaulting open and wide sharing. We heavily prioritize asynchronous collaboration outside meetings. So we're all in sync and collaborating heavily, but without having to get everyone on the same page and dropping what they're doing and then rewarding practices that do this. All of our bonus schemes and the way we incentivize employees is linked to demonstrating these values. So we've sort of put money behind it to show that this is what we care about because this is what's going to make us successful. And we reward those that demonstrate that best. A bunch of those practices all in sum define this ideal place to be productive and successful. How many years have you been in business? You probably told me that at the beginning, but I don't remember. Yeah, we founded Hugo in 2016. So this is our fifth year okay. in business as a company. And the pandemic was then probably good for you. It was. I always feel guilty saying that. But we're definitely one of those businesses and products where the trend that was making Hugo successful before has been accelerated, mm -hmm. leading to growth for us. So we really have had a good couple of years of, of growth and, and impact. Well, and I like impact better than it was good for you because people like me who wouldn't still be in business without good remote tools deeply appreciate the efforts that I've learned things today in the last hour that we will be putting in practice beyond Loom because we've used Loom, but you'll probably see us on your customer list. <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> Trying out what we have learned during this conversation. So what's next for you as we're wrapping up? What's going to happen with you and with Hugo? For us, we're very growth focused at, at Hugo. We are now, you know, obviously on a mission to be that meeting productivity hub, thousands more teams. You know, the, the pandemic does some of the work for us as far as breaking down some of the constraints and the, and the blockers for many more traditional organizations um, who, you know, weren't open to these ways of working and, and that before. So that's all unblocked for us. So 
yeah, we've, we've just got big growth plans. And ultimately, we're creating a category of software. When you start a company and you go and, you know, pick up your chat app and your CRM and the, the core tools you need for a business, we want meeting productivity to be amongst that. You to think about how are we going to institute best practice for meetings? How are we going to prepare? How are we going to schedule? How are we going to plan meetings and capture all the notes? And we want our category of software to be in that list. That's a big job and a big undertaking, and that's certainly going to keep us busy for a while. Beautiful. And again, thank you for creating solutions for those of us who like working remotely, want to continue, and know that where we are now isn't sufficient to get us where we want to go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell our customers how they reach you. Website, is there a free demo they can do? How would they try? If you go to our website, which is hugo, H-U-G-O dot team, T-E-A-M, hugo dot team, you can sign up free and Hugo's free forever for very small teams, or we have trials and that for larger teams. So check out Hugo and uh, very happy to continue the conversation, be in touch. I'm pretty active on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. So always enjoy talking to folks about these topics. Spell for our users how they would reach you so that they spell your last name properly on LinkedIn. Sure. So it's Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, Chait, C-H-A-I-T. I'm assuming that's the name you use on LinkedIn. How would they find you on Twitter? At Darren Chait. So same spelling, one word. And that's me on Twitter too. Beautiful. Darren, thank you. This has been fun to learn about another gap that I didn't know I had. <laughs> and for our listeners... I assume as well, many of you are facing the challenge of, I know this can be more effective, but I don't know what to do to get there. And to your point, helping our organizations be more effective and less frustrating, just removing the friction is what a gift for many of us so that we can add more value to the stuff we're trying to get done. Thanks, Maureen. So to our listeners, thank you for joining. Please like us, share us. And most of all, take away the learnings from the conversation and apply them in your life. Make your meetings more effective. We all want that. What you do matters, especially during the pandemic and creating the opportunities in the jobs that we can work remotely so that we can attract people who don't have the option to work down the street from us and that we can build healthy, sustainable teams using Hugo, using Slack, using Loom, so that folks feel engaged and productive and inspired in their workplaces. Mm -hmm.